It's a, it's a fun time to be here. Uh, we love the first couple weeks of school getting started at the branch, um, partly because we have a bunch of new friends in a room. And so what we want to do, we did it last week. I'm not going to do what I did last week just because I'm not going to imitate last week, but we're going to move forward into a new day. Um, but I do want to just kind of lay out who we are as the branch and welcome you here. And, um, but in order to do that, I think it's probably best for us to um, just realize where we are as a church. And so uh, tonight is, a, is an important night for our congregation. So we live life in community through what we call family groups. And tonight we, we really, we've kicked them off a few weeks ago, but tonight's the, the climax of that that kickoff with what we call family reunion. And really what, if you're new to the branch, what the best way for you to think about this is, this is how you get connected to a group okay, is, is through what we're doing tonight. And so it's right here at the Park and Rec. If you're kind of on the fence, you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to get into a group, come anyways. Uh, we'll give you food. And then you can see the judgment that other people will give on, put on you for not getting into a group, okay? So uh, I hope you'll come and join us. I, all, all jokes aside, it is one of my favorite things that we do. Uh, we say it all the time, the most important thing we do is proclaim the gospel, and right there next to it is living life in community, and that's how we do this. And so our groups meet throughout the week to study scripture, to share a meal, and to pray. And that's what Christ has called us to do. And so I hope you'll come tonight and be a part of that. Uh, if you're new to the branch, this is who we are, okay? We're, we're, right now we're in a series on Exodus. So we're, I think, at week 19, uh, and we're at chapter 12. Okay, so there are more weeks than there are chapters for us to get through Exodus. And so for us, it's important that we go line by line, verse by verse, word by word, to not miss what God has to say to us. And I think today, really, today is Exodus 12, uh, 33 through 42. And, and what you'll see today is, I mean, today is the title of the book. Today is the Exodus when God's people are finally let go. And so if, you, if you're new and you haven't been here, you can catch up. We have these little books uh, that our team put together. Uh, it's got a family group guide in there. It's got a family discipleship guide, which is for you and your household or your roommates to go through if you're wanting to really dive in. There's some passage-specific questions in here. Uh, it's our gift to you. They're on the uh, book nook. All those books are free, by the way, uh, so grab them if you promise to read them. If you don't read them, please give it back so somebody else who might read it or pay for it. If you don't want to read it, pay for it. If you want to read it, it's free. How about that, okay? Uh, anyways, so at the branch, I think the, the best way for us to describe who we are, and this is what we said last week, is that we're a family of missionary servants, okay? We live, everything we do, we try to do through the context of family, including Sunday mornings. And the guys who lead worship, they were here early, people setting up here early, participating in the life of, of this church. And so um, we exist for those, though, who aren't here yet. Everything we do is for the glory of God and the good of those around us. And so that's who we are at the branch. And so if you're new here, I hope that will, that will resonate with you and give you a good idea of, of who we are as a church. And so what I want to do now is I want to read from Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read our passage for the day, which is in verse 33 is where we'll uh, pick up. And we'll go down through verse 42. This is the word of the Lord. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Make a little note of that word plundered. 
Verse 37, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock with flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Praise God. 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We just thank you for a chance to gather together as a body of Christ and to study your word, to worship you. We pray that in all things that um, you'd be glorified, uh, glorified in the way that we interact with one another, be glorified in the way that we sing praises to your name, be glorified in the way that we study your word. So God, we're grateful today just to have a place to gather. We know that there are people around the world today who are meeting to do the same thing that we're doing in secret, in fear of persecution. So we pray for them, pray that their hearts would be filled with the Spirit as is ours. We love you, we thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't uh, dismiss our kids. Uh, Kids, you can make a run for it. If you uh, right through those doors, you know where to go. I think most of them are out, so I think we're safe. Uh, If anybody else wants to make a run for it, now's your chance. We won't judge you. Okay, so if the last six weeks or so have been really tough, um, that's kind of on purpose, right? We're out of the plagues officially, so um, praise God for that round of applause, or are we good there? We're out of the plagues. We're not going to go back, not, not for a long time at least, um, but it's a new day. It's a new day in Egypt. It's a new day in Israel, and I, I just want to be, I did this a little last week, but just very transparent. Last week was really, really weighty. Uh, the death of the firstborn is one of those, uh, you know, one of the most devastating texts in all of the Bible. It really is. If you think through just the magnitude and the weight of what's happening in Egypt, every person, so if you're not familiar with the story, every person of Egypt who didn't paint the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the firstborn in that household was killed. The angel of death swept, swept through, the, through all of Egypt, and there was, there was no one left the firstborn, who weren't protected by the blood of the Lamb. And what a picture of the gospel that is. As weighty as it is, it's also extremely freeing that Christ has come and painted his blood on our doorpost so that we can be brought back into right relationship with God. That's why we're here, okay? If we just called it now, we'd be six and a half minutes in, and that's it, right? That is the gospel. You could hit brunch. We don't do brunch here. We do lunch, and sometimes it's a little later than usual, but it's all good, right? So, but the last few weeks have been really heavy, uh, last week in particular, and, uh, and I think now as we see, I mean, the title in the ESV, that's what we teach from, okay, uh, is the Exodus, right? So Exodus chapter 12, the little subheading there is the Exodus, and we actually get to see God fulfilling his promises, not just his promises to Moses, 
but also his promises to Abraham. So that's what I want us to do today. We're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis. Um, these, these passages will not be unfamiliar to you if you've been here. If you know the story of Exodus, they won't be unfamiliar to you. But um, in my house, so if you're new, uh, for those of you who are here, let's just go ahead and do this, and we'll have everybody else catch up, okay? So in my house, we, we work our kids through a catechism. It's called New City Catechism, and we really love it. Uh, we're, not, we're not great about doing it every night, full disclosure, okay? So don't think, oh, man, they're really doing a good job with their kids. We are trying. Um, don't always do it perfectly, okay? Uh, praise God for grace and mercy. Um, but there is a question in the catechism, which is really a discipleship guide, okay? So don't, don't be caught off by the word catechism. It's really just, this is how we're training our children in the ways of the Lord. But there's a question that says, does God keep his promises? And we didn't know this, but uh, I guess at our kid's school, Mary London, who's our middle child, when she was like two or three, she came home one day and she started responding to, does God keep her promises by sticking her little thumb up in the air and said, yes, God always keeps his promises. And so that's kind of become our mantra here at the branch. And so when we hear, does God keep his promises, all of our God's people say, God always keeps his promises. And so I know this seems silly, but even if just a little thummy thing can help you be reminded that God not only makes promises, but God keeps his promises, uh, then we can fully live into what he's called us to do. And so I praise God that today is promises made and promises kept. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to flip over to Genesis chapter 15. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out five different promises that God has fulfilled now uh, as God's people are leaving Egypt, okay? 430 years, by the way. It's a very, very long time, not just to be in a place, but to be enslaved to a place. And so we want to go backwards in order to go forwards and be reminded what God has proven in the past will help us to have hope for the future. This is Genesis chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14, and then we're going to go back into Exodus. So keep a finger in Exodus chapter 12 there so you can thumb back and forth. Then the Lord said to Abram, notice his name is Abram. It's not Abraham yet, okay? So what does that mean to us? He is yet to have children, okay? So just to keep it in context. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be, what is that word? Afflicted. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possession. The first promise here that's given to Abraham, Abram, is what? Do we start with blessing? You can respond here. It's okay. It's safe space. It's not blessing. It's what? It's affliction. Okay? God's first promise to Abraham is know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants. They will be afflicted. He even puts a timestamp on it. He says for 400 years. Okay? So God's people knew this was coming, even though they doubted it. God had promised that he was going to do this. And so in this world, this is what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And so as Christians, as soon as you're baptized, you're not free from trouble. You're not free from affliction. If anything, you might be more prone to it. Okay? Because where the gospel is being proclaimed, the enemy is going to be right there behind you trying to stamp it out. Okay? The greatest threat to the kingdom of Satan is the movement of the gospel. 
And the more we move the gospel, the greater the threat will be. And what's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through this process, you're going to be afflicted. But fear not. It's only going to be 430 years. You'll be fine. I'm going to get you out. Okay? So not by any of your own work, any of your own standard. There's nothing that Israel could do. Nothing. Not one single thing that they could do to get out of Egypt. No matter how hard they tried. Right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Pharaoh, let my people go. No. And then what happens when God is ready? In his time, his people are free. The affliction, the burden was heavy. If you remember back to the beginning of Exodus, it wasn't just that Pharaoh had killed the the sons of Israel, he'd also laid a heavy burden on the people of Israel. So it wasn't enough just to be a slave. It had to be a forceful slave, right? He kept adding to the burden. He took the straw away to make brick making harder. Okay, this was the king of the day. Jesus, in this world you will have trouble. The promise is not that you will not have trouble, but that God who is rich in mercy sent his son to take that affliction on. That's what's happening to the people of Israel. Okay? Jesus, for them, right, even for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, for Joseph, for Moses, they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, okay? Now, theirs was a forward-looking faith, and ours is a backward-looking faith, but we also have a forward-looking future. It's called hope in Christ's return. So I think here, one of, one of the things, I want to just take a quick rabbit trail, Okay? These are dangerous. It's in my notes, though, and so I think I have it timed out fine. But affliction is a tough thing, right? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been talking to someone? And specifically, I'm talking to Christians in the room. So if you're a non-Christian in the room, maybe you've asked this question. And let me just tell you, full disclosure, fair question. How could a good God let? Have you ever heard the question asked? And it's usually followed by uh, childhood cancer or divorce or some sort of tragic story about evil or uh, hurt or pain, right? Have you ever heard it? Just give me one of these so I know that I'm not alone here, okay? How could a good God let? And I think here there's two ways that you can view this theology, okay? And you're safe either way. But either God caused it or he allowed it. Okay? And I don't really care where you land, okay? Some days I land over here and some days I land over here, frankly. All right? So whether God caused the affliction or whether he allowed it, here's what is true. He could have stopped it anytime he wanted to. Okay? So that's where our theology has to bring us together, right? And so when churches split over does God cause evil or does he just allow evil? Okay, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. He is sovereign and he is good and he's the creator of all things. And anytime he wants to kill evil, he can do it. And he will not, thank you, he will not lose. He will not lose. He cannot. He's incapable. It's not in his character and his nature. He cannot lose. So there's our first promise, affliction. We doing okay? So, we go, so if you're new, right, here's, here's, just, here's your experience at the branch. Okay, I came to this church. I'm calling home, right? Mom, Dad, we went to this church. They're talking about the death of the firstborn. Oh, well, okay. Hey, uh, tr- give him another shot. Okay, I'm back again. They're talking about affliction and suffering. This is hard here. Right? This, is, this is the word of the Lord. This is why we teach the Bible the way that we teach the Bible. Okay? There's no better uh, proof of that. The second one is, that the, is the promise of judgment on God's enemies. Verse 14 in Genesis 15 says, I will bring judgment. Who will bring the judgment? The Lord will bring the judgment on the nation, specifically the nation of 
Egypt. And what do we know here? I think one of the cool things about the way that we do family groups is we always study the text before we preach it. So this week uh, in your family groups, you'll study the text that we're going to teach next week. And here's why we do that. We do that so you're not dependent on the communicator on Sunday morning for your only experience in the Bible. Okay, so when you're in your group and we're asking these questions around the text, we're allowing you, giving you space to wrestle through things without being influenced by a preacher man. Okay? Does that make sense? So what did we, in our group last week, we were still wrestling with the firstborn, okay? We didn't, we made progress out of it, but we were still really wrestling. Again, we are, my group meets on Sunday nights, and so it was still really fresh for us, and there's a lot of kids in our group. And so we're just kind of sitting in the weight of the death of the firstborn. In Mallory Odom, I haven't seen them today, I don't know if they're here or not, I didn't ask her if I could tell the story, but she was having a really difficult time sitting and and experiencing what this death of the firstborn is. And if you know much of their story, you'll understand some of the weight of that, and I'll leave their story for them to share. But I was struck by this, and we haven't said this enough here. There was a war happening in Egypt. It was a straight-up battle, okay? We think that uh, Israel was just enslaved, and it was just a dictatorship. No, this was a battle. Now, the Israelites had nothing. They, weren't, they didn't have swords. They didn't have anything, any weapons. But God was waging war on Egypt. That's what's happening here. Okay, so all of this warrior text that we see, the word plunder that I called out earlier, that's a, that's a battle word. When a victor triumphs over someone else, their enemy, what do they do? They plunder their things and they take it with them. So for God to say Israel plundered Egypt, is to say that he won. The war was over. The battle was done. Egypt was crushed. The promise of, God, of judgment on God's enemies rings true from Exodus chapter 15. I'm reminded of the text that while we were still sinners, we were what? We are the enemies of God, okay? So that's all of us, right? If you're not in Christ, you are an enemy of God. It's not just the guy who's making slaves of people. It's not just the people on the news that we demonize, It's anyone who's apart from Christ. And I hope that weight sits in this room a little bit. But there's also hope that we've been reconciled through Christ. Okay? And now I don't carry that weight anymore. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you don't carry it either. Praise God for that. All right? The promise of judgment on God's enemies. It will be true. It has been true. The war is over. All right. Here's what you all came for. Here's what you came for. The third promise is the promise of blessing. Okay? Now, if you've ever been a part of a church that says what you pray for is what you get, I want you to go back to that church and take all the Bibles you can get your hands on and just take them out of the church, okay? Because they haven't read them yet. They don't need them anymore, all right? That's not what God's doing here, all right? I had a seminary professor who he was, we, some poor kid, he wasn't a kid, he was older than me, but a guy in my class was, he said something and he goes, professor, give me your Bible back. Until you learn to read it, you can't have it, Okay? And uh, there's only like a hundred of us in the class. I'm sure he was fine. I don't know how he's doing. We should check on him. But this is a long time ago. But the promise of blessing, right? We see this in Exodus chapter 3, where Israel is promised to plunder Egypt. It's coming one day, right? We see this in Exodus 15. And what I think the most important thing is like, if you remember Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, for our sake he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin. Talking about Jesus. That is the blessing, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. That's the blessing. And so I think a lot of times we like to say, you know, our wishes and God's blessing, right? Those aren't always the same thing. Sometimes the things we're praying for are the things that he's trying to protect us from. Have you been there? 
Yeah, me too. There was a great theologian by the name of Garth Brooks who said, uh, thank God for unanswered prayers, if you know the song, right? Theologically, it's a pretty weak song, but that, that line rings true. But there is blessing for the people of Israel. And here's what's beautiful about this, okay, is it wasn't just the people of Israel. There were other people who got to come too, okay? So we're going to get there. All right, go now to Genesis chapter 12. So just a couple pages before where we were in 15. I'm going to read the first three verses of chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a... What is the word? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The fourth promise that we see being fulfilled in Exodus chapter 12 is that the promise to make Israel a great nation came true. They multiplied in Egypt, right? They grew in Egypt. They became a mighty nation in Egypt. These are the promise that God makes to Abraham before he even had an heir, before he was already old, he was an old man, and God comes to him and says, you're going to have, not just you're going to have a child, but from you is going to come a great nation. And can you imagine, I'm going to just press in just a little bit, because I know there are people in the room who this story is true for them, and there have been a ton of people in our life who this story has been true for them. They try, and they try, and they try, and they try, and they can never have a baby. And this is Abraham and Sarah's story, okay? Can you imagine now being in your 80s, and God comes to you and says, there's going to come an heir from you, right? They try to cheat their way around God's promises a little bit, if you know the story of, of Abraham and Sarah. But God comes and says, I'm not going to just give you an heir. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. How would you, what would you do with that? How would you respond to that? I think, in all honesty, I would respond in doubt. Probably some fear a ton of anxiousness, right? Because you're 80 and you're like, you're going to give me a kid now? I can't, th- surely there's someone else who's got some energy and some zeal. But it's not. It's not what God does. Abraham, then Isaac. Isaac is his son. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has how many sons? There are 12 of them. And that family is the family that ventures into Egypt. When they get there, there's 70 of them. That's what the Bible tells us. 70 Israelites into Egypt. Okay? How many leave? This is not Bible trivia. What does the Bible say? 600,000 men. Okay? That's not to say that they left the women behind. They didn't. Okay? The women got to come too. It says, and the women and children came. So if we just do basic math, right? You don't have to be a wizard. But we know that the Bible says at least 600,000. That's pretty amazing just by itself. If it was just 600,000, God kept his promise. That's a mighty nation, okay? But it's not. It's 600,000 if they all have at least one wife. That's 1.2 million. If they all have at least one child, it's 1.8, right? And we, we believe that they probably had more than one child just based on the culture of the day, okay? And the command of God to be fruitful and Multiply. That's what they did. Now, uh, there are some families in our church who have a lot of children, like a lot more than two, a lot more than mine. I've got three in mine, but there's a family in this church that has 10, okay? Can you imagine if they all had 10 
kids. There's a lot of people moving, all right? What we saw last week is God's telling them, hey, you better get ready to run, right? You better get ready to run. And that's what's happening here is he's saying with urgency, get up and go. That's why the bread is unleavened because they had to just take what they could grab and go. This week I was traveling I did a lot of airports this week, all in one day, which is not a good way to do it, and because if you get one delay, it will mess up everything else down the road, okay? So I'm sitting in Pittsburgh, and I need to get to Detroit in order to get to D.C., because that's how we do things here, right? And you're like, this doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like, you know, uh, this, right? And so I'm on the plane, and the woman next to me is deaf, and so she's panicking because she has a connection flight, too, and she's texting on her phone, like trying to get people to, she can't hear what they're announcing, and we're just sitting on the runway, right? And uh, we get out, and we get up in the air, and I'm, I'm texting her back and saying, hey, we're, I think we're going to be late. Like, we're, at this point, we're two hours late, and my flight was at 9.50. At 9.20, we're still in the air above the lovely city of Detroit, which I didn't ever get to see. And so I'm texting her. I'm like, hey, I think you missed your flight, you know, and she's upset. And then I'm looking at my flight because that's what you serve first, right? And then you look at your own thing. And so my flight's still on the ground, and I'm like, I don't know if we can make it. I don't know, but I'm going to try in haste. And so I grabbed, all I had was a backpack, and I took off, like full speed, 37-year-old man, backpack doing this thing. And I finally, I get through, the gate, the door is still open at my gate, and my boarding pass now says your flight's at 7 a.m. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. M- meeting in D.C. the next morning, like, come on, how is this possible? So smart guy. I had taken a picture of my previous boarding pass. And so I just put it on the thing and they let me through, closed the door behind me and we left. I sit down and I am sweating, right? Have you ever been in haste? That's what it feels like. You just grab your stuff and you run. And this is what God's doing with her people. They're not having to catch a flight, but he's saying it's time to move. Can you imagine logistically moving, let's just call it 2 million people. Or let's just call it 600,000. Let's stay with what the text says. Can you imagine 600,000 people getting up and moving at the same time in haste? Haste means hurried, okay? That means when you sit down on the plane next to the guy, you know, who's breathing horribly, you know, but you're also breathing horribly because you just ran, you're like, we're good, you know? I'm sweating more than you are. It's fine, but we're in haste. God has a plan. He's got a mission for us. Silly story, but I think this is what's happening. 70 to 600,000 over 430 years. Listen to these. This is from Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. God is making promises and he's keeping them. It was true at the beginning of Exodus. It's true almost at the halfway point of Exodus. And it's true today. God has made promises and he's keeping them. The fifth promise this morning is the promise that other nations will be blessed through them. And this, this is the one I think that's a game changer. This is the one that's why we're here, okay? Unless you grew up in a Jewish household, this is why we are here. Verse 38 in Exodus chapter 12 says that a mixed multitude of people would go out. A mixed multitude. So if someone had been transformed by the signs and wonders that were happening through the plagues, if someone had been captivated by this community of people, For 430 years under severe oppression, 
but stayed close-knit, that's a, that's a legitimate story. That's one that can change a community. Those people who are transformed, can we say it, by the gospel, they left Egypt too. Praise God for that. So now it's not just the people from the line of Abraham. It's all the people that God has now called, and that's you and I. So the fifth promise is the promise that other nations would be blessed through them. Through all of this, um, what's coming? Do you know the story? What's next? They leave Egypt, 430 years of bondage, and God calls them into the desert. And they wander. And they don't do very well. As soon as the sand hits their feet, what happens? They start complaining and grumbling. God, why did you draw us out of Egypt only to kill us in the wilderness? Doubt is a real thing, even in the face of a majestic, divine being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's a, fun, a fancy seminary word. Can I share it with you? It's called theophany. Theophany is just like the, uh, uh, the tangible expression of God, okay? It's like the presence of God coming. This generation experienced more theophanies than anyone else in the history of mankind. And yet they were full of fear, full of doubt, full of grumbling, full of complaint. As soon as they hit the desert, I want to go back to bondage. I want to go back to bondage. Last week before the service, we read from Psalm 121. I want to read it again. I think it's important for us to be reminded of this psalm. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. You weren't going to die in the desert. The last verse says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I think the, the best way, so one of the things that we always try to do is we try to press into God's nature and his character. I think God's revealing himself as the perfect father right here. And I just want to explain this because I'm not a perfect father. This is like, uh, you know, when you have, um, if you have little, if you've ever had a little baby, okay, and you're a dad in the room, you're so inadequate, okay? Let me just put that out there, right? The baby's screaming in the middle of the night, and you're responsible for like one or two nights, maybe a month, okay? You had, you had no responsibility, really. You're just trying to keep everyone else alive. And the baby's screaming in the middle of the night, right? And your job is to go in there and, you know, your wife is exhausted and she's like, can you please just go in there one time? And you get the baby, right? And I remember the first time I held uh, our kid, Braden's our oldest, uh, but the first time I held my daughter because daughters are different, that's when I realized I could kill someone, you know? Like you're holding her and it's like, if someone messes with her, I'm gonna, it's gonna be the end. We're gonna, like Moses, I'm just gonna bury you in the sand and hope no one finds you. Hear that. If you mess with my daughter, I will kill you, Okay? 
But I remember holding Brayden, and Brayden was the easiest baby, and part of that was because we were so busy. We were planting a church, and we had just a million things, and so we would just take Brayden and be like, well, you hold him for a minute. We got to go do this thing. You, my, my wife was singing today, and so that was every week for us, and so it's like anyone who would hold the baby would hold Brayden. Mary London was a little bit different. She didn't want anybody to hold her, including her dad, and so I would go in in the middle of the night, and I would try to like, you know, do this thing, and then I would sing. Singing only made it worse for me. I don't know why, and then I would, you know, take her like uh, the Lion King, and I would just hold her up in the air. And it, it was an endless fight. Megan would walk into the room and instantly she would be comforted. And I realized she just needed to be loved, right? This is something I couldn't give her. There were things in her life that she needed from Megan that I couldn't provide. And yet God is the perfect father who walks into the room, not as a supervisor of Israel, but as a dad who lovingly cares for them. He's calling them out of bondage and into the wilderness in order for them to ultimately to experience freedom. And that's what we get. That's what we get in Christ. He's watching as a dad, not as a supervisor. God keeps all of his promises that he's making to his people. Second Peter is beautiful. So is Zephaniah chapter 3. Listen to what it says there. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. What a comfort. A mighty one who will save. He will re- rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Right? It's just a little shh. Just a little shh. Not one of these dads, okay? Not one of these. Just a shh. Right? He will exult over you with loud singing. Maybe that was my, my problem. I wasn't exulting. The loud singing I got, but the exulting I didn't. Well, the last comfort, the last promise I want to leave us with today is that while you are sleeping, God is working. And here's what I want to play that out. Not like when you're actually sleeping, although he's still working then too. But God is good. Can we, are we good there? God is good. God is also great. And here's what I mean by that. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at one time. He's both inside of time and outside of time. Okay? He is sovereign, which means he's in control of everything. But if that's all he was and he wasn't good, we would be in real trouble. Because there's a tenderness and there's a mercy that doesn't come with greatness. But it only comes with goodness kindness. And that's what God is doing. That's what God is revealing of himself. And so if you walked in here and the last question you asked yourself when you walked out of your house, really going out on a limb before you step into Christian community is, is God mad at me? Does God not love me? Has he forgotten me? I hope this story sinks deep into your soul. Because it was 430 years of where is God? Has he forgotten us? Does he love us? Has he forgotten his promise? 430 years is a very, very long time. And so in in your life, whether you're older than me or younger than me, I've only got 37 years of experience. And in seasons where God has been quiet, he has later proven that he was not absent. We've said that a hundred times. But if you're in here and you needed to hear that God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you, not because of what you've done or what you haven't done, but because he has sent his son to take the burden that you carried through this door to put it right on him. And he willingly and gladly took it. He is great and he is good. Zephaniah tells us that he was a mighty warrior who saves. What a beautiful picture of a good and loving father. 
One of the, the, the texts I wrestled with a lot this week is that uh, to those who he has set free, they are forever free. Do you hear that? Last week we were trying to say, oh gosh, what is the application of death of the firstborn? What was it? Do you remember? Rest. Rest. There's nothing that you could do except to obey what God commanded, which was to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. If you do that, you could have rested that night. If you did not, there was no rest there. The next morning was met with tragedy and turmoil. But those who are free are free indeed. Amen? Amen. We close our services by responding to God at the table by taking communion. And here at the branch, what we do is we, there's, a, there's some bread that's been torn and a cup of juice. And we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and we dip it in the cup, which represents his spilled blood. And the reason we do this every week is because we need to be reminded, okay? We don't do it as some sort of robotic rhythm where we just are not, don't go back there numb, okay? Take a minute, take a breath, get the pins and needles out, and go and respond, and see that the Lord is good, and he is great. He is all-powerful and all-loving. He is in control of my life, and he's in control of yours. And so my prayer for you today and this week is as you leave this space, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, would you carry that flag? Would you carry it? And don't carry it down here. Carry it high. Like the people of Israel, go in haste, for the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the richness of your text. I thank you that uh, in my life, uh, the prayers that I used to beg of you that went unresponded to were really your gift of protection. The things that I wished and hoped for were not the things that were best for me. And so I thank you for the kindness and the mercy that you extended. I pray that now as a people, as we respond at the table, that you would help us to remember the magnitude of the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And would we leave here with the hope of his return? And we do pray that it would be quick, that now as we go in haste, that you would return in haste and make all things new, every tear wiped away. There's no more messages on tragedy. It's just glory and praise to you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning as we close our time in worship. We pray for those who aren't here yet. We pray that the richness and the beauty of the gospel would forever change their lives. So we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.